0: Welcome to today's edition of the Baseball America College podcast. I'm Teddy Cahill. Joining me, as always, is Joe Healy. And we have another full weekend of college baseball to talk about. SEC play started, Big 12 play started, Pac-12 play started, ACC, Big 10. They're all still going strong. And so there was a lot of action around the country. And we're going to get to it here on the podcast. We're going to talk about that opening weekend of SEC play going to talk about Florida State's huge week as they go 4-0 and against Florida and Miami in dominating fashion. Texas Tech and Oklahoma State highlighted the start of Big 12 play. We'll get to that, as did a couple big series out in the Pac-12. Like I said, we'll get to all of that here today on the Baseball America podcast, the Baseball America College podcast specifically, which is presented by Rapsodo. Rapsodo has become the industry standard in player performance data coaches use Rapsodo data as a measuring stick for player development and evaluation. The Rapsodo National Player Database is a free service that allows you to see how you stack up against your peers and provides a pathway to get discovered by scouts. You can check out the Rapsodo National Player Database at rapsodo.com slash national database. All right, Joe, we're here. It's uh, it's a sunny Monday here in Durham. we got a lot to get to, and we're going to start with 4-0 Fairfield, the mid- uh, the, the Metro Atlantic, there it is. The Metro Atlantic Athletic Conference also opened play this weekend and Fairfield, the Stags, 4 0 against Canisius.
1: Look, I mean, if uh, listeners had read my Metro Atlantic preview, they would not have been shocked by this development. Uh, Canisius, Canisius is talented. They can pitch, man. Like, uh, this is not not a huge surprise to me. I think there's a lot of assumption out there that Canisius is a name people recognize and Kenetius is. You know uh, uh, as much of a brand name as exists in the metro atlantic as far as baseball goes uh but fairfield is my team to beat and so uh i'm walking with a little extra swagger this morning that uh seeing what my stags were able to do
0: <laughs> against the golden griffins over the weekend as you should as you should all right um the sec they opened conference play this weekend as well and it was a pretty full weekend of of baseball in the sec i'm just going to run through some of the headlines here joe and then we can uh we can take it wherever we want it uh jack Leiter he threw a no hitter on saturday for vanderbilt against south carolina it's vanderbilt's first no hitter in like a year and a half (laughs) rocker of course threw one in super regionals against duke in 2019 and oh by the way he was excellent against South Carolina as well. Combined, they struck out 30 batters in, um, in their two games. Vanderbilt wins the series, South Carolina wins on Sunday. Stop me if you heard that before. Alabama stunned Arkansas on Friday night, handed the Hogs their worst loss in Baumwalker Stadium this century, maybe longer. I stopped looking after I got to 2000. Uh, but the Hogs come back, and they win the series. Mississippi State kept rolling. They win their series in Baton Rouge. Florida, Ole Miss, sweep, AM, and Auburn, respectively. Tennessee beats Georgia in a tight series in Athens. And Kentucky wins its series at home against Missouri. Uh, Joe, take that, uh, take that where you will.
1: I like your Missouri there. That's uh that's <laughs> someone who lived not far from. From Missouri for a little while in the, in the recent past, that uh, that hits home right there. Missouri's a little
0: passe. I feel like you know everyone says Missouri now. Let's uh, let's go yeah. To Missouri.
1: Yeah, that's my sounds like my grandmother. My grandmother uh, who lived in in the state uh, would say Missouri, and she used to say that, you know, if you're in St. Louis or if you're in Kansas City, it's Missouri. Everywhere in between, it's Missouri. That was her uh, that was her way of, of of looking at it. So straight from the mouth of a Missouri resident. I think the most, well, I know you have thoughts on this, but one of the more fascinating things is, you know, Vanderbilt in that series obviously gets incredible pitching on the first two games. And, you know, I wrote about this in the aftermath of Jack Leiter's no hitter, just kind of at the end of that piece, which was mostly just about his performance, but I threw like a little couple little things in at the end. And one of which is that I think there are a lot of comparisons to be made between the, the lighter, no hitter and the rocker, no hitter in terms of the stakes were much greater for the Rocker no-hitter, right? Super regional, like nobody's going to dispute that. However, Elimination
0: game, too, for Vanderbilt. Exactly, yes.
1: Yeah, so obviously you, you set the stakes aside, but there were some similarities, I think, in terms of the way lighter in this case, dominated with one pitch in the same way Rocker did. It was the breaking ball with Rocker in that game against Duke. It was the fastball for lighter against South Carolina. I also think this is potentially kind of a game where Jack Leiter a little more known because he's Al Leiter's kid and because he plays in the same team as Kamar Rocker, let's be honest. But I think this is maybe a little bit of a coming out party for him in the same way that it was for Rocker where it's maybe he was a name that if you really follow the draft or you obviously if you follow college baseball, but if you really follow the draft, you've probably known of that name and you knew of Rocker in 2019. But it wasn't until the no hitter maybe that you knew exactly what was up with Kamar Rocker. and, And now Leiter has his own highlight reel that's going to run for the rest of the season all the way through the postseason and will be shown a million times on the MLB draft broadcast when, when that comes around in July. So I thought it was kind of interesting. I think there are some parallels with the way they did it and also with what might come from this point moving forward. I also think it's, you know, in a sport, I, I've said this before, this is not new ground and anyone with with that, that understands the sport will inherently know this, but in a sport that's set up to allow teams that win two out of three to have success, like Vanderbilt is in very good shape when it comes to that. They have the two top college pitching prospects. And now those two guys also seem like they might just be the two best pitchers in the sport that can be debated, but there's certainly two in the discussion that that's clear. But then on Sundays, like Vanderbilt still has some questions on the mound. And that's kind of interesting. And who knows when that'll come back to bite them? Because if, if Rocker and Leiter are as good as they were this weekend, it won't matter a ton but there is an opportunity where that comes back or a situation where that comes back to bite them. So that will be a development to watch as, as it goes forward, because, you know, rocker and lighter are not always going to be as good as they were at this past weekend. And so, you know, do, do we see that kind of uh, rear its head in, in, SEC play? Do they get it figured out? That's certainly on the table. There's enough talent on this pitching staff. Maybe they get it figured out, but So it is, but it is really fascinating to see how good they pitched the first two days. And then the the last couple Sundays in particular, they've kind of floundered a little bit looking to find a third guy to finish it off.
0: Yeah, Vanderbilt's going to lose the series at some point this year, and it's going to be because one or both of them did not, you know, do what they, like the superhuman feats that, that they have been doing for the last uh the last month now, it's uh, it's it's incredibly impressive what Jack Leiter did. Um, SEC no hitters are rare. Casey Mize through the last one, uh, you know, in SEC play. Prior to that, um, there was a pitcher for AM that did it, whose name is escaping me. And if you go back before that one, uh, it had been like I want to say like fifteen years before, like in between SEC no hitters and SEC play. Um, we'd have to fact check that but it it is it is a rare thing to do and Jack Leiter is is keeping very good company by having done this in SEC play let alone his SEC debut And, and I think that's what stands out to me the most here is that you know yes it's a little wonky that this was his SEC debut because you know last season he didn't get a chance to play an SEC game but this was his debut and uh, what, a, what a debut it was you know, it couldn't have gone any better. Um, I mean, I guess it could have gone slightly better if he hadn't walked the leadoff hitter, but that was the only blemish. He walked the leadoff hitter and then retired 27 straight 16 by strikeout. Uh, you know, just what a remarkable performance. And this is against an okay hitting South Carolina team. Uh, I'm not quite sure how good of a hitting South Carolina team this is just because over the last two weekends, they've had to play, at Oklahoma State and at Vanderbilt, and those are two of the better pitching teams in the country. So, uh, my view of what the Gamecocks hitters are is is being colored, or not Oklahoma State, Texas uh, got got to uh, got that confused. But anyway, Texas is one of the better pitching teams in the country too, and, and it's been on the road. And you know, it, it, that's just coloring my view of what South Carolina hitters are right now. And Oh, by the way, they go home next weekend, but they go home to play Florida. So, you know, it's uh, it's another premium pitching outfit that they're going to have to face. And so, yeah, I, I don't know specifically how good the South Carolina offense is, but I know it's a solid one. I think I know that. And and Leiter and, and Rocker were were outstanding against it. But, yeah, I mean, at some point, Vanderbilt needs to find some answers behind those guys, I think. You know, they they covered the first 18 innings of this series with rocker lighter and uh, you know newfound closer Luke Murphy. Um, that's that's great if you can do that, but there are other there there will be other times that they have to find other answers. And uh, you know, right now, as uh, as it's gone the last two weeks, they haven't really found those answers outside of the, the games that, that, rocker and lighter start, I mean, the, the talents there, I'm not going to be too terribly worried about it. Uh, I, but if, if one of those guys falters at a bad time, you know, the, they're, uh, they're going to be fighting it a little bit, you know, it, if you, if you go back to 2019. Like I said, that was an elimination game for Vanderbilt because Vanderbilt lost the first game against Duke at home in a super regional. If they do that this year, they're gonna feel great again, having the lighter to to follow, but the other team's gonna feel a lot better about day three than I think Duke did uh in 2019. Cleaning up uh the the thought you had there, because I couldn't come up with this name
1: at the time either. Kyle Simons there uh, is. was the guy's name. That was against Vanderbilt, by the way. Uh, It was in 2016. And I have a little connection to that game, actually. So in 2016, I was still living. I was living in Houston. And that was my first season truly covering college baseball from like, you know, start to finish. I had done some, some like, you know, little work here and there on college baseball. I still was watching just about as much college baseball as I do now, frankly. So I was still on top of it, but I wasn't writing as much yet. But so 2016 is my first season. Really being knee deep in it. And so I was, uh, that weekend comes and AM from where I lived, because I lived in a part of Houston that was closer to College Station than than other parts. So, you know, I could get to College Station in less than an hour and a half. And um, thanks to the newly opened toll road that lived or the by which I lived. So that made it a little bit quicker. But Anyhow, so I had an opportunity that Sunday game comes and I'd been somewhere else that weekend, or maybe I hadn't been anywhere that weekend. So I was kind of getting itchy towards the end of the weekend. And you know, AM has a, at the time was, was still a very new Bluebell Park, still new in the grand scheme of things, but just just few years old at that point. And so, you know, nice big press. So it's one of the places where like, you know, I, I'm sure I could have reached out to, to Thomas Dick, their SID and like, you know, gotten made sure there was room for me in the press box and gone and i thought about kind of on a whim just going to that sunday game um and then i didn't and it turns out it was a no hitter so uh had had things maybe gone a little bit had 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 my mind just been in a different place when i got up that sunday morning maybe i end up at that game and end up at that no hitter and I, you know i get to see it live but uh, i i did not and uh that's you know that's that's the way it goes sometimes you miss out on on stuff like that. But, um,
0: I guarantee you, had I been at that game, I would not have forgotten Kyle Simon's name. I can tell you that much. <laughs> it is, uh, it's kind of crazy how things go. I, um, it was either Scherzer or Strasburg through a no hitter on uh, the final day of the regular season for the nationals several years ago. And I happened to be in DC at the time with my friend and we talked about like, Oh, we could go to the Nats game today. And then we didn't. And, uh, then that happened. And Yeah, it's, uh, it's the, it's the would-haves, could-haves, should-haves that, uh, <laughs> that come to define no-hitter viewing experiences sometimes. Um, all right, so we're going to talk more about the SEC opening weekend uh, in a minute here, but first, check this out. All right, Joe, we talked about Vanderbilt beating South Carolina, strong series win for the Commodores and of course about Jack Lighter's no hitter there. The other big story from the weekend for me was Alabama and Arkansas. I, we talked about this on the preview podcast. I was very interested in the series and uh, you know, I think, uh, I think what happened on the field bore out why I was so interested. It started with a bane as Alabama upset arkansas 16 to 1 on friday night like i said that was the worst loss in bomb walker stadium this century and i mean that was it was a strange game from the jump really alabama put 10 runs on the board in the second inning never looked back uh we talked a lot about how arkansas dug itself holes early in games uh early in game one of series throughout this uh this season, but they had always been able to come back. Well, they finally found a hole they couldn't dig out of. Uh, but then the Razorbacks came back with a, a 9-1 win on Saturday. That surprised exactly nobody, I assume. You uh you punch the number one team in the mouth. Uh, you expect them to respond. That's exactly what happened on Saturday. And then on Sunday, it was uh it was a good rubber game. Uh that Arkansas did just enough offensively to win three to one. Alabama got the tying run to the plate in the ninth inning but could not bring it home. And uh, as a result, Arkansas remains number one in the top 25 with another series win. Alabama takes the series loss, but to my mind anyway, uh, really validated everything we had said about the Tide coming into the season.
1: Yeah, totally agree. And there's a reason why we didn't really move. Alabama in the rankings, because that was, that was probably about the, the expected result. Now, you know, winning the winning a game by scoring 16 runs was probably not something that we would have predicted. Although we did talk a little bit about how, you know, Arkansas's pitching staff just kind of has these blips. And, you know, I think if you're, if you're Arkansas, like you, you just kind of saw what can happen, you know, Uh, like that is very much a result on the table for Arkansas this season with what we've seen from them. They just have these these blips where they'll have games where they just struggle to get folks out. And it's not even like the same guys that are running out there, you know, like it's, it's like a different guy every time sometimes, you know, so that that is on the table as a result for Arkansas. And that I think that will always make as much as I like most of what Arkansas has brought to the table. I certainly like the results. You know, I think that gives me a little bit of pause about them, just knowing that that is, is, is in there, you know, and, and probably will be for the remainder of the season. So, that was a, just kind of a little bit of a surprising result in some ways, but not so much in others, but yeah, Alabama, Alabama was right there. You know, that they, they obviously had the middle game where Arkansas uh, kind of punched back, if you will. And that third game was, was just a real tight, uh, well-played Sunday game. I uh, can't ask for a lot more on a Sunday than, than that game. Cause it was, it was well-played and, and relatively low scoring. And so that was uh, that was good to see that, that series end on, on that kind of, that kind of note. But, you know, I think Alabama is who we thought they were, you know, to, to, to quote, uh, Uh, an often used phrase and if you know there's obviously a lot of kind of mystery about what's going on with Connor Prelip and what we might or might not see from him moving forward but this pitching staff has really done a nice job keeping them above water without him you know uh, you know with Tyler Raz and Dylan Smith and Antoine John uh, and the rotation all all lifting some some heavy loads and so if, if Prelip comes back and he's if he's healthy, they feel even better about that unit. I think that's a, a really good starting rotation. If if he's back, um, and it's it's pretty solid as it is. It's going to keep them in games, and um, we obviously saw the 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 ceiling with the offense on what they did on Friday night. So you know, Alabama, very good team. You know, I'm, I'm I'm happy that we've we've stuck with them early on, and you know they haven't moved a lot because they really have yet to blow us away with a weekend. But they've done exactly what we expected they would do, and this weekend was more of the same.
0: Yeah, I would uh I, I would I would agree with all of that. I'm very interested this weekend. Ole Miss goes to Tuscaloosa. What what's gonna happen there? Um, you know, I, I getting getting a team like that at home is uh is important for the tide here as they kind of try and find their footing a little bit in SEC play. But what they did on Friday night was uh was really significant. And and I think that if you had been skeptical of what we'd said about Alabama previously, or hadn't paid them much mind at all. I think that that probably woke you up to uh, to just what what the tide has been building there uh, in what is now Brad Bohannon's fourth season as head coach. Um, Mississippi State, they go two and one in Baton Rouge. Joe, honestly, I. You know, this is a big rivalry. We ranked it really high when we ranked college baseball rivalries. It lacked a little something. I think basically just because LSU didn't have a number next to its name for us. The games delivered pretty well, but they delivered in pretty much the exact way I would have expected them to. They were low scoring because Mississippi State pitches really well. LSU's pitching rose to the occasion. And, you know, it was a it was a good, well-played series. Did we learn anything? about either of these teams, though.
1: No, I actually don't think so. Like, I, you know, and and I didn't watch them. I didn't go through them with a fine-tooth comb as if I, you know, as if you or I were a Mississippi State or LSU beat writer, you know, right? Those guys could probably tell you very specific things they saw that developed along the way. Like, if you and I, you know, if you and I did those jobs, it'd probably be a little different story. But, you know, big, big picture here, which is what you and I are ultimately doing, I don't know that we really learned anything because you're right, They Mississippi State did what, it has done all season where it just kind of is able to it's got talented guys in rotation. Sure. And if those guys really, you know, give them what they're looking for. Great. But if, but if they don't, like they can just throw numbers at you. And that's been one of the bigger developments in that team all season. we saw it again against LSU and, and, you know, some of the, the series not having the pop that it would normally have is, you know, LSU hasn't been a vintage version of LSU this season. And, um, they, they, I mean, they played well in the series that that effort wins a lot of games, but Mississippi State has just been so good, uh, so far this season and, and kind of, you know, toughing out some of these kinds of games. And, um, you know, that I think the one thing that if you talked to us before the season, maybe not, maybe not going into the series, knowing what we knew through four weeks going into the fifth week, but before the season, I think I would have been a little more surprised at, at you know, the way that Mississippi State was able to kind of just continue to to chip away at Jaden Hill and the way Jaden Hill wasn't really able to impose his will. He threw the ball well. His numbers, I wrote this in the the recap after Friday night, like he threw the ball well and his numbers, because he ended up giving up some runs kind of at the end of his outing, don't really reflect how well he pitched. But also, you know, for a guy who's one of the better arms in college baseball, like he's just not been dominant, I guess, in the way that we would have expected. And, And even if you kind of Excuse the Oral Roberts outing, which I know is, is too easy to do, but also, you know, like that was just clearly a terrible day for him at the ballpark. Even if you throw that out, though, there just hasn't been the dominance that I think we expected to, to see from him, and at a, at the very least in spurts. And so I think at the beginning of the year I would have been a little bit surprised that oh you know Mississippi State was really able to to really take it to Jaden Hill late in that outing, and that was a little bit of a surprise. But other than that, I mean you're right. I think it I think this this series went to form. And I think that speaks well on what we expect of Mississippi State, that they go to Baton Rouge and win two or three and pitch really well. And we come out of it going like, yeah, okay. Yeah. I, yeah. That was exactly what we expected there.
0: Yeah. I, I think maybe the biggest thing I learned was Will Bednar is, is getting close to being all the way back. He was uh, he didn't start the season healthy, uh, but he threw five really good innings in the Saturday game. And, you know, as he continues to, to get lengthened out a little bit, I mean, that's, uh, that's looking really good uh, there for, for the Bulldogs behind Christian McLeod on Friday night. Sarantola still is looking to get fully strained out as a, as a third starter. They, I mean, have, they've used Jackson Fritzo at times this season when they didn't have Bednar. I mean, that's probably still an option at some point if they, if they need it. And uh you know I mean Mississippi state's going to have one of the better rotations in the country, potentially one of the absolute best and the depth in the bullpen is is incredible and uh, all, all the rest of it, I, it. it was it was a really good weekend for Mississippi state uh, And now that sets up uh, a number one versus number two next weekend in, uh, in Starkville as Arkansas is headed there. this will be the 14th time. In the 40-year history of the Baseball America Top 25, that the the top two teams have faced off in a in the regular season. Uh, so very excited about that one next weekend, and we will talk plenty more about that on the Thursday preview podcast. Yeah, do you, do you think uh, we'll,
1: you think we'll preview that one? What do You, you think? know, I,
0: I I have a hunch that Just we might off. spend a little bit of time on that this week. Okay,
1: all right,
0: fair enough. I guess I understand. <laughs> Before we move on from the SEC, I know this has been a lot of SEC talk. Uh, Joe, this was opening weekend. It was exciting that there was conference baseball in the SEC. But I found it not as exciting as maybe I have in years past. And I think that's because, number one, the series, there were only two rubber games and you know just for the most part that the, the series were all decided pretty pretty easily arkansas uh and Alabama played a rubber game as did tennessee and georgia but every team you know there there were seven series six of them involved at least one ranked team and in all six of those series the higher ranked team won the game won the series and in the other one kentucky uh was at home against mizzou Kentucky wins that series. And not only are they the home team, but Mizzou is the team that's under five, the only team that's under 500 in the SEC. So also not an upset. So no upsets this weekend. And then it just feels like the SEC is as stratified, stratified as it's been since 2016. You know, I, I think there's a very clear cut top of the conference, they're the top five teams of the country. The middle of the class is pretty well established. We're ranking three other teams, 16 through 23, throw Georgia and LSU into that mix. Neither one of them is too terribly far out of the top 25 now. And then the four teams at the bottom, Auburn and AM got swept this weekend. Mizzou, as mentioned, under 500 overall. And uh, Kentucky has a decent record, but also has a home series loss to Ball State like I Kentucky's going to have to prove it a little bit after where they've been the last couple of years, and they haven't done that yet. You know, well, all of those four teams will have a chance to to move into the middle tier as as the season continues. You know, that the SEC provides plenty of chances, but to this point, those are the four worst teams in the conference. And when we present a projected field of sixty four this week, they are not going to be in it. So, you know, right now, I just feel like at least after five weeks of the season. You know, it, with the SEC having what seems to me like pretty clear-cut tiers, it's, uh, you know, it, maybe one team will move here and there, and, you know, maybe Tennessee goes on a run and pushes into that t- top tier. You know, I don't know. But, like, right now, it just seems like this is the way it is. And, you know, until those top, top teams play each other, it's, uh, you know, upsets are, are less likely.
1: You know, what's so funny about that is I didn't – maybe on a previous podcast I had said it, but I meant to say it in the the weekend preview podcast last week and and just didn't because it, you know, got away from me there. But, you know, I I was going to, to kind of sarcastically say like a thank you to all those conferences starting conference play because I'm really tired of looking on the, you know, the ESPN app and like all of my choices of the games to watch are just a bunch of, ACC series of teams that I've already watched four or five times this year. And so it was going to be nice to have a little bit of variety. The funny thing is, you know, we had that this weekend and sure, you know, the PAC 12 makes it a little bit tougher because they don't have their streaming games. You have to like go directly to the site, you know, and, and find the stream. And, you know, it's hard to, you can't really do it on a smart TV as easily as you can with an ESPN app or what have you. But so we had that, that variety this weekend. And yet, you know we get to sunday and like i'm choosing between acc series again because not only are you correct and, and also you know i watched arkansas alabama but that game was a later start so like there was a window there at the beginning where they're just you know i was looking for other stuff so that created part of the issue too but you know the the, the sec series were a decent number of of series that weren't really particularly competitive and you know we had the florida am series get over a day early and you know, they, most of the series were um, just weren't really popping in that way. And so there I was after weeks of kind of looking forward to this weekend as being able to choose from some different stuff. And, and here I was just cycling through a bunch of ACC series again, because those were the series that still seemed the most interesting. So that will change. I assume there there will be some change in that as time goes on. But, um you know, I, 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 was, I was just surprised by by how I don't want to undersell this, but I was just surprised by how not compelling so much of what the SEC provided through one weekend really, really was. Um, not that there weren't some interesting things happening on, on, on a micro level, but in terms of, of big picture things, you're right. It just wasn't, it wasn't the opening weekend that really uh, would, get, would get you super excited about SEC baseball being back. We are excited about SEC baseball being back. Do not get us wrong, listener. However, it was not an opening weekend to remember, I don't think.
0: Yeah, and uh, one thing before we move on, I, I I use the shorthand of 2016, but I don't. Not everyone is going to remember the 2016 season, uh, you know, specifics perfectly well. So in that season, the SEC had seven hosts in regionals. That was a record, but it didn't get a single other uh, team into the into the tournament, uh, which was strange to say the least. So. You know, if you're I, I don't think that there are going to just be seven regional hosts and nothing else. Like I think that you know they have five, six, maybe seven hosts. Uh, but like there should be a couple other teams that that get into the uh into regionals this year, unlike in 2016. But like then, I, I think there's a clear-cut top of the conference and a clear-cut bottom of the conference. Yeah. You know, uh, so we'll uh... see if that changes later, but for now, that that's the way I see it.
1: The other thing that probably this means if we are seeing a redux of 2016 is that congratulations to Pac-12 champion Utah. Um, that's going to be a big deal. Like that's going to be surprising. I don't think people are going to see that coming. That was, uh, but but here we are. If we're going to do 2016 all over again, congrats to Utah. Uh, congrats to uh, BC on getting to a super regional and congrats to UC Santa Barbara on going to Omaha. Well, you know, two out of three ain't bad. That was a fun, that was at 2016 that's, I mean, that was a fun season for a lot of different, it was weird in the SEC. Like, I I get that. And it was part of the reason Utah won the Pac-12 is because it was kind of one of those apocalyptic years on the West Coast where everyone goes, what's wrong with the West? You know, um, but, but it, it was it, actually
0: true that. Year.
1: For sure. Like there, there was reason to be saying that for sure. But uh, it was, but it was a lot. I remember that season being, being a lot of fun overall. I mean, obviously it ends with coastal winning a national title. So, you know, that's obviously, I guess, exhibit
0: A of that. All right, let's uh let's move on here. Let's go to one of those ACC series that uh you were so excited about except this one it was the least competitive of the of the group. Florida State went to Miami and absolutely trounced the Canes. Um they swept the series in Miami for the first time since 2002. None of the games were close and if you throw in their win on Tuesday against Florida. They outscored the rivals 44 to four on the week. The closest game after five innings of any of those four games was Saturday's win in Miami. And, you know, after, you know, midway through the game, Florida state was already up four runs. Um, in many cases throughout this week, they were, they were up that many runs after the first or the second inning. Uh, they never trailed all week. It uh, it was a really, really remarkable week. It was not just the best week of any that any team in the country had this week. It was the best week. Any team in the country has had all season long. And with that Florida state vaults back into the top 25 at number 15. Uh, And you know, this is, this is the team we signed up for. I think it doesn't look like the team we signed up for when we ranked them very highly in the top 10 in the, in the preseason, uh, Elijah Cabell still not hitting, uh, Reese Albert is hurt. Um, you know, there, there, some things offensively just are a little weird as a result, but this is, this is the team we signed up for, for the most part.
1: Yeah, no, no kidding. I mean, that my goodness talk about, and you know, you and I had this conversation when we were talking top 25 last night that, you know, it's funny how the season, this is one of the most fascinating things for me year after year. And it's something that I didn't appreciate before, before I started having to, you know, work on a top 25 every week, because one thing you have to evaluate when you work on a top 25 every week, because not a lot of people know when you have a top 25, like, I don't know, people don't, people don't understand, like you have to have 25 teams. Right. So like they don't, they don't get that. So, so you, you have to evaluate these resumes every single week. And so I think that has helped me do a good job of kind of re-evaluating what we actually know about a team week after week, where I think it's really easy. If you don't do that, you know, we bring Florida state back in and, and yes, you maybe know that they trounced Miami, but they bring Florida state back in pretty quickly after they came out just a few weeks. That's a pretty quick bounce back. But then I always think it's fascinating to take a step back and, and think about why that is. And it's not just what they've done this week. It's that, okay, we were pretty down on them when they got swept by Pitt and would they have liked to have won at least a game in that series? Sure. Um, But we now know a lot more about what Pitt is. And so suddenly it starts to look like, okay, we were probably a little bit harsh on Florida State. Like let's kind of make amends here a little bit, knowing what we know now. It was the right decision to make at the time, knowing what we knew then. And so you're not just reevaluating the team based on what you've seen from them in that window. You're also reevaluating based on what everything else is happening around them and that's just something I didn't think about a lot before I started having to do this job where I'm looking at these resumes day after day after day. But there's really not much else to say in terms of what we saw in the field here. Like it, every facet Florida state was just better than Miami and I know it's easy to say because when a team gets when a team gets beat badly it's always going to look bad, but Miami was just really sloppy in addition to not playing well like it wasn't just that they had no answers on either side it was also that they they kicked the ball around i think it was seven errors in the first two games and eight total for the weekend um so it it was just not a pretty brand of baseball either and um so miami's got a lot of we still rank them because like their resume is a weird one but it still has some stuff on
0: it most confusing resume in the country
1: yeah i think it's it's yeah i mean I think this is indicative of what we're going to see in the ACC all year. Like, unfortunately for us, we're going to have to spend many a Sunday night trying to figure out what to do with all these ACC teams, because the ACC gave us the, the the tough hand of giving us ACC series, basically every single weekend from week two on. So that's going to make it even more difficult as time goes on. But Miami's just, they've, they've got a lot of questions to answer and we've been talking about some of these questions since the beginning, right? I mean, the questions like, um, what is the bullpen beyond Carson Palmquist? And is, you know, Daniel Fetterman and two freshmen, is that a starting rotation that's going to be able to get it done in big games and offensively, like who are the new stars that are going to step up around Adrian Del Castillo and and Alex Terrell? And that was under the assumption, those two guys would really be hitting like we expected them to. So they, it's like all of the same questions we had from the beginning are still sitting there unanswered and they have time to answer them. That's certainly still true, but man, this was getting punched in the mouth more so than I think anything I've seen in a long, long time.
0: Yeah. And, you know, for Florida state, you know, I I think that, you know, they've found some answers offensively. Uh, Robbie Martin started the year eight for 34 without an extra base hit over the first uh, three weeks. And, you know, he's, he's gotten it going. That's been very important. Um, Reese Albert is out injured. Getting him back will be important, but they found some other guys to step up. Matt Nelson has seven home runs this year. Um, you know, that, that's that been important. They threw the pitchers into the the lineup, the, the pitchers, meaning Wyatt Kroll and uh, Parker Messick, most notably, but also Davis Hare has gone some at-bats. Uh, and you know that's, that's worked in a, a pretty significant way, especially in the case of Messick. I don't know how long that's going to work for um maybe those guys just do end up being good hitters they they have that in them they've you know it it wasn't just a spur of the moment like oh let's see what the pitchers have uh those are guys with two-way talent um but they're also players that there is no scouting report for yet and like as a book gets written about parker messick the hitter will he be able to make the adjustments like we'll have to wait and see on that but for now uh, it's given them giving them a lift. And, you know, that's, uh, that's all really significant. And, you know, the, the Florida state pitching staff uh, has, has impressed me. Messick has really locked in on Friday nights. They've decided they're going with Bryce Hubart, another second year freshman uh, on Saturdays that has worked pretty well. He was a little wild against Miami, but he got out of all the jams he got himself into and uh, then Connor Grady continues to just be a steady Eddie uh, on Sunday for them to, to round out the rotation. And then they have a very veteran laden in bullpen. Uh, a lot of names that that you know if you've been paying attention to Florida State baseball over the last few years, Clayton Kwiatkowski, Jonas colaro Chase Haney, uh, Hunter produced a little bit of the new kid on the block, but he's also a junior college transfer. So this is like year four of college baseball for him. Um, And you know, as as a result, like it, it runs pretty deep. They can feel pretty good about all of those guys. And oh, by the way, Carson Montgomery, uh, who was the the top ranked player in the country uh, to to make it to to college last year, he's your midweek starter, and that's working pretty well for them too. So, I really like what they have on the mound. And if this offense, which <laughs> averaged eleven runs this week, uh, if uh, if that's here to stay, you know, and anything close to that. Uh, th- this is going to be a team that that can compete with anyone in the ACC and and looks like an Omaha threat.
1: Man, you said that Mike Martin Jr. didn't just randomly start putting the pitchers in the lineup to see what happens. Man, I wish he had. But that would be <laughs> so much fun. If like he just so frustrated by the offense, he just like looks to its right, look to his right, and like Parker Messick is charting pitches, and he's like, "All right, get up there. Let's let's just let's see what you got." And then the next guy in line is like why Correll. He's like, "All right, get up there." Like, that would be – that's some Wayne Graham stuff. For those who don't know, Wayne Graham, uh, the former Rice coach, like, um, you know, he was not – he was someone who, you know, and I guess to his credit because, like, you know, he was a very successful coach. Like, he would – he has no, you know, uh, hesitations, like – making pitching changes in the middle of at bats when that wasn't a thing. Like now that's actually like a strategy. Sometimes you see employed, like he would do that if he just didn't like the first two pitches he saw a guy throw, he would put pinch hitters in, in like 0-2 counts. If like the first, the guy who was up the plate took two strikes he didn't like, you know, he would, he, he would just, he would put in a pitcher who hadn't thrown in weeks because he was just giving a guy a shot or because he was frustrated with the guys he was normally using. Like, so I would not have put it past Wayne Graham to do something like that. Like get a guy out of the dugout who hasn't hit since high school four years ago and just give him regular at bats just kind of because he's angry at the guys he normally has up there. But unfortunately you're right. That is not the case we're seeing right now, but boy, would that be fun.
0: Uh, That's uh, taken from a different time. Wayne Graham. All right, let's, uh, let's move on here to the Big 12 highlight. Uh, they only played two conference series th- this weekend. Texas wins a series at Baylor and the other, but we're going to talk here about Texas Tech and Oklahoma State. Texas Tech wins the series, went down to the absolute wire. The team split the first two games. Tech got uh, a lead going into the ninth inning on Sunday. Uh, Oklahoma State loads the bases only gets one run. They needed two to tie the game uh, in the ninth inning. So Texas tech comes out with the series. win. when these two teams play, they are always close series. Um, you know, the last time it happened, it was the 2019 Lubbock super regional. That also went down to the wire or thereabouts uh, and, and several other times in, in recent years, when, when these two teams have played, they've, they've played some really entertaining series. Uh, this this effort was, or this edition was uh, was more of the same. And uh, yet again, Texas Tech wins in Lubbock. We talked coming into this about how, you know, Oklahoma State really needed to win this series to prove themselves as this big 12 contenders in the race. I don't know, coming out of it, like they acquitted themselves pretty well. It's still a serious loss. They still now have a lot of ground to make up uh just to already in the big 12 and to think texas Tech is going to drop too many games like ah, that's probably not happening. but I do come out of this feeling better about Oklahoma state than I might have expected, certainly better this week than than last week uh in that series loss at home to Vanderbilt. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I think team, you know we, we talk about
1: teams don't go to Lubbock and, and really have a lot of success. So through that lens, they obviously acquitted themselves well. I also think the way in which they did it, where I think there was still, even though I wrote a couple weeks ago about how Oklahoma State is really a pitching forward outfit, at least to this point of the season, I think there was still some some reasonable skepticism about, okay, you've done that against the teams you've played, but what, what happens when you go to a place like Lubbock? And they really did a pretty nice job, I think, um, limiting the offense there. And I guess we could maybe have like a, Semantic discussion about how good this tech offense is versus previous versions and da, da 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 da. But what I will tell you is that, you know, you look at the tech lineup and it does have some of the hallmarks of tech, line, tech lineups we've seen in the past where it's got guys who are going to steal bases and kind of make things happen, kind of gritty players. It has a big bopper in the middle of the order with a familiar last name in Jace Young, which, by the way, like, I don't really think I'd fully internalized just how good he's been so far this season like he's putting up
0: like it's ridiculous he's
1: putting up numbers like his brother right and um that's a really high bar to clear and he's really doing it you know maybe you know better than i but like josh young put up good numbers from the jump at texas tech but like if we're just saying 2020 didn't happen with jace young like in calling this his freshman year i might be be i think he's probably on a better pace than what josh was now that's not quite a apples to apples because 2020 did happen and jace young has now had more than a year in this in this program so it's, it's not an easy comparison to make but point being like he's putting up absurd numbers like he is he looks like a bona fide star so that's been a huge development for texas tech but but by and large i, I think oklahoma state feels good about the way they were able to compete there and for texas tech i like the fact that um you know we saw you know their pitching staff come in and you know Patrick Monteverde threw really well again. Like it's clear at this point um, as unorthodox as it is, the way that he has arrived at Texas tech as their steadiest starter. Like, it seems pretty clear that like, this is not a fluke. Now he's probably not going to pitch this well the rest of the year because then he would be big 12 pitcher of the year probably, but he is clearly good enough to get this done. So that has been a big thing. You also had to like what you saw from Brandon Bird who's been a little more up and down this season, but you know, in a loss on Friday, he was really excellent. Had he not been, uh, opposing Parker Scott, who was even better. He wins that game for Texas tech more often than not. So I also kind of liked some of what I saw with Texas tech on the mound. Um, you know, I wish we could, that's a series as much as there were a lot of series this weekend where I was kind of like, eh, you know, that's a series. I wish we could run back because I I thought it was really intriguing. I did think we learned some things about these teams and I'd like to see, honestly, I'd like to see three more games.
0: Yeah, it was, uh, it was everything that you could have wanted from the, from this series And uh, I fear that this might have been the big 12 series of the year. And it's already, it's already come and gone. We'll see what, uh, what happens when Texas plays either of these two teams. And, you know, I'm not writing off TCU, but I think I've made it clear that I'm a little, uh, a little down on, on where the frogs are versus where I thought they might be coming into the year, but uh, a great start to the big 12, big 12 play. Um, Tech it just feels a little ho-hum. Like, yeah, of course they found Patrick Monteverde. Like, why wouldn't they have found that? And like, yeah, their junior college transfer has become a reliable Friday night starter, of course. And like, yeah, Chase Young is hitting. And so is Drew Baker. And like, you know, of, of course all of these things are happening. And, uh, but it, it is very impressive what Texas tech is doing. And more impressive than that is the fact that I'm, being so like, oh, of course Texas Tech did this. Like what Tim Tablock has built there. Uh, you know, we talk about it a lot, uh, but I it, it's it's deserved. I mean, this is this is a team that has become the Big 12s behemoth. And, you know, if you go to the pre-Tim Tablock era, it was it, it has one conference title in its history. So uh the it's it's very impressive what they're doing. Uh and and this weekend was more of the same but more of the same for the red Raiders is uh, is a really high level and uh, this is this is looking like another omaha outfit i would say indeed yeah i,
1: I will scream that from the rooftops like I'm, I'm glad you bring it up again like texas Tech for much of you know the 21st century has been and also ran in the big 12 like they would have little moments where they'd pop up and they'd be they'd put good teams in the field but They had a little bit of a heyday under Larry Hayes, who was the coach in in Lubbock for a long time and did a really good job. Like he's a legendary coach there and deservedly so. And they had a really good run in the late 90s and the early days of the Big 12, late 90s, early 2000s, where they were one of the best teams in the country. I think they were even number one in the country at some point in some polls. I don't know if it was BA, but um, for there in the late 90s. And a lot of talented players came through there. They won a lot of games, but then that was a pretty narrow span of years and they went kind of back to being a team that was good, but not great. And then of course they, as time went on, they, they became, you know, really mediocre until Tim Tadlock got there. So doing it in Lubbock is not an easy thing to do. Um, you know, it is, it is out there in West Texas. They're not super close to any of the big recruiting hotbeds. You know, they, they, it's not, um, you know, they, they don't have the coast or, you know, the, the mountains or a big city to recruit to like they're working with a lot of what you would think would be disadvantages from the very beginning. And in the face of that, it has turned into far and away, not even close the most consistent program in the big 12. It's it's absolutely incredible.
0: They were not number one. Uh, they, they have never been ranked number one in the baseball America top 25. Well, will uh, we'll see maybe this year we've already had two first time number ones. Maybe, maybe we got room for a third. We'll see. Um, All right, let's move on to the Pac-12, which opened uh, conference play. And the big series there was Arizona going to UCLA, and then Arizona State uh, going to Oregon was the undercard to that. And those series both turned out to be pretty interesting. The home teams won them both, so that's UCLA knocking off Arizona, Oregon beating Arizona State. I was pretty down on UCLA a week ago after they lost to Cal Poly. They responded in a big way back at Jackie Robinson Stadium facing the best offense, question mark, probably the best offense in the country. And uh, the, their pitching staff you know, definitely rose to the occasion and, and held the Wildcats in check. That was impressive. And then up the coast in Oregon, Oregon continues to roll. They're, they're pitching well. They're hitting well. Arizona State played well in that series, and what Arizona State is doing it continues to be very impressive. They continue not to be in the top twenty-five, just on the edge again. Can't bring a team in when they lose a, lose a, a conference series, but you know, considering what they've gone through, losing three of their better pitchers uh, to injury for the season, you know, they're they're still rolling right along, and they're continuing to do this more on the pitching side than on the offensive side. They're a fine offensive team, but uh, the, the pitching, especially when you consider the context has, has really been impressive. So Joe, I'll let you, uh, I'll let you go wherever you want with this, uh, whether, whether that's UCLA or whether that's Oregon or, uh, or somewhere, somewhere else, but uh, you know, let, let's dive into this PAC 12.
1: Yeah. With UCLA, like it's interesting because we're, we're viewing them through the context and understandably and rightfully so. It's not a criticism of us. We're viewing them through the context of this was a team we had number two in the country coming into the season, and we thought was closer to Florida than closer to, say, Texas Tech. And so through that lens, they have been really inconsistent and a little bit disappointing. Um, and that's the only context through which we can fairly view them, right? But let's say we erased our brains like a men in black style, you know, and, and we just kind of viewed this team and we viewed them through you know, it's a spectrum of you're trying to get better and you're trying to work towards the postseason. If that's the case, what we saw this past weekend was a was a big step in the right direction, because you're right in that they did mostly limit the Arizona offense. You know, Arizona had, I guess, 10 hits in the middle game and scored seven runs and hit a few home runs. And I think that, that Arizona's a good team. Like that that's just gonna happen. But the Friday game is a was a quintessential UCLA Friday win where you know Zach Petway gives him five shutout innings. He looks more like himself than he has at any point so far this season. So perhaps he's rounding into form, you know, the bullpen holds on, um, you know, and then they win the game on a bases loaded walk in the bottom of the
0: ninth inning and kind of just. Can we talk about that for a second? Jack Philby drew that walk. Jack Philby, as of Friday night, I should pull this up here in a second. He He'd walked 19 times already this year. He's hitting like 180. Like, I don't know what it is about him. But like for some reason, pitchers don't want to throw strikes to a guy who doesn't really strike you as a power threat. I don't, I don't know what that is. It's outstanding plate discipline from Philby's perspective, but uh, he is now hitting 152 on the season. Still just the 19 walks in 30. He's had 33 at-bats. He has five hits and he's five for 33, one home run, but he has 19 walks. I it's, one of the craziest things i have found stat wise this season that is really interesting uh, maybe i'll make a note
1: to go back and watch all of his watch his at bats because th- there are other guys you see that have like just absurd walk numbers but then they also have like fairly high strikeout numbers and it's like okay, he's only
0: struck out five like, times right yeah
1: like because with some guys it's like okay maybe you should be swinging the bat a little more often. yeah yeah, yeah. I it's, wonder- not, <laughs> it's
0: not a passive thing here like it's yeah. an actual just like he knows what the it's sound yeah. control is what it is.
1: Yeah, that's incredible. Like that that's the thing. He's hitting one fifty two, but like four seventy-two on base, like hit him lead off. My goodness. Um anyway, yes, you're right. So that, that is that is crazy. I'm glad you drew my attention to that, because I would probably have glossed over that. But so you know, it's kind of a typical UCLA win. And then I would even say Sunday was too, where it's like it's a close game. Uh, you know, the pitching isn't quite as good because it's Sunday. And then, you know, late in the game, UCLA just kind of manufactures a bunch of runs, you know, and, and just puts it on Arizona. And before you know it, you look up and, and UCLA has has run away and they and they win the series. So, um, again, through the context of the way we view this team in the postseason, still doesn't look exactly like I think we thought it would look. Understanding that this is a team building towards playing its best baseball in June, uh, I thought this was a, a really big step. For them, So I take a lot of, I, I, I won't say a lot, I take a, a good amount of positive out of this for UCLA, understanding that it still feels like they're working, they're working through some things. And uh, on the other series, uh, yeah, kudos to Oregon again, like they, you know, it's this group of guys that we knew were talented, we, we've said this before, but, you know, the fact that arguably the two biggest catalysts for Oregon being where it is right now are Kenyon Yovan and and Colin Kafka, who were two guys who have been known quantities in college baseball or known talented players anyway in college baseball for a long time and just hadn't ever really put it together. And then, you know, last year maybe would have been the arrival year, but instead it's this year. And so the fact that it's, it's those guys, and this is not a a case of coach Waz bringing in an entirely new roster and getting it done with a bunch of new faces is, is kind of fascinating and interesting. And I think probably rewarding for those guys and for this Oregon program that, it's kind of a group of guys that had dealt with some downs in, in in this program and had dealt with struggles and, and now they're, they're winning games. And so, you know, uh, you have on uh, this weekend, you know, Kafka continues to, or ULVN uh, continues to hit the ball well, and Kafka has a career day on the mound. And, and it's pretty cool to see this team kind of continues to, to roll on. And I'm even with you on Arizona state where I think this is a, you know, I kind of compared to the 2016 Arizona state team where, and I forget if it was, that they'd had guys leave the program or they had injuries or what it was, but the 2016 team for Arizona State, you know, kind of had like one and a half reliable starters and then just really pieced everything together on the mound after that. And they ended up in a region. And, you know, and Tracy Smith was very open that season about the fact that he thought his team was overachieving a little bit. And I think this team is more talented than that one. And the offense is pretty good, but I do think this team is kind of that team where I think they're a regional team. I think there are going to be times where we kind of look around and go, how are they doing this? Because I think they're going to steal a series or two. Um, but then there are also just going to be times where they just don't have enough and they, you know, they, they, they play well, but just come up a little bit short. And I think that's what happened this weekend. They, they played pretty well, just ultimately didn't have enough. And I think that's going to kind of be the reality for Arizona state. It's a, it's a good team. I think if they're healthy, could have been a team that maybe surprised us a little bit and could have been a, maybe a great team. I just don't think it's necessarily in the cards, but I think they deserve a lot of credit for fighting the way they have so far.
0: This went a little under the radar, uh, but USC swept Washington in Seattle. uh, And the Trojans have now won six in a row. I basically wrote them off, at least in my head. I probably didn't say it on the podcast, but I basically wrote them off after they, got swept in the, uh, whatever we're calling the LA College Baseball Classic this year, the, the tournament that they and, and UCLA co-hosted. Um, and they, not only did they get swept that weekend against Fullerton Pepperdine and UCLA, but they they were not competitive. They lost by a combined score of 26 to six. Um, the closest game was a five nothing loss against Fullerton on Friday night. And while Tanner BB is pretty good, like still not great to lose five nothing on a Friday. I, uh, they, they've rebounded though. You know, they swept Nevada at home last weekend. That's a pretty decent Nevada team. I'm not quite sure where they stand in the mountain West pecking order, but it's a decent Nevada team, I think. And then, you know, I, I've definitely mentioned before that, you know, Washington is one of those teams that I am just always going to like fall into a trap into thinking the Huskies are probably a little bit better than they are. Uh, I certainly did that coming into the season. It looks like they're now eight and nine. But anytime you go on the road in the Pac-12 and you sweep a series, especially if you're going to Seattle in March, like I, that to me seems uh, not insignificant. Uh, you know, so the Trojans with with six straight wins now, they're they're up to to nine and six. I mean, things are things are looking up there uh, for USC going into a massive series for them next weekend. Uh, It's a, it's another rivalry with, with UCLA. They get it at home. uh, So that that's important, but you know, I guess what I'm saying here is we cannot write off the Trojans just yet. And uh, this weekend against UCLA just got a lot more interesting.
1: Indeed. It also, you know, USC is pretty familiar in my mind because they were quite literally the last team I saw in person uh, I guess them in, in UCLA, the last team I saw in person in 2020 before things shut down. And you start to look at it and, you know, outside of like last year at this time, Clay Owens was like clobbering to baseball and, and he still has three home runs. So he's he's making some contact. But when
0: you said that, I thought Clay Hilton.
1: <laughs> yeah, Clay Helton was out there. They <laughs> snuck him out there like he's not a great athlete anymore, but uh, he could play <laughs> a little first. So they put him out there and yeah, Clay Hilton uh, Well, look, I mean, the football team has been a little bit disappointing at USC. Nobody would really dispute that. So they had to get a little more value out of Clay Helton's deal. We're uh, so we're, we're right like, in the stand. We are
0: going to uh, just evaluate at some point in this offseason, you can look for top 25 football coaches as baseball players. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, I'm sure. I mean, I'm sure there are quite a few with some some background out there. But, uh, you know, they just thought, you know, we need to get a little more out of Clay Helton. We're not quite getting our value on the football field. Let's let us see if he can hit a little bit and turns out he can. So good for him, I guess, you know, at his age, being able to still get out there and get it. So, but, uh, um, but, you know, so Clay Owens is not hitting like he was last year where he looked like a monster early in the season. But other than that, like it really does look a lot like last year's team in, in terms of the way guys are performing in terms of the way things lined up. I know they really like their rotation with Alex Cornwell and Isaac Escueta and, and Chandler uh, Champlain. So, you know, if you liked last year's team, and there was a decent amount to like, you know, with the way they were playing. Anyway, um, th- this year's team is pretty similar, I think. So uh, we'll have to see, but uh, yeah, I think there's there's reason to be a little bit optimistic. And I think it's clear. Like, I try not to speak in absolutes, especially on such a small number of games. But I think when you look at the way they played last year, and uh, you know, a small sample of this year dealing with early adversity and, and appearing to to be heading in the right direction, like I think it's I think it's clear. Um, you know, that Jason Gill has hit on something there um, and, and that something he and his staff are doing there is, is working, whether or not we see that the best results of that this year or some year in the future remains to be seen. But it, it's clear they're, they're pressing some buttons there
0: that are, that are working. First Pac-12 sweep for the Trojans since 2015. That's hard to believe. When you consider, like, I don't mean to
1: be mean or disparaging here, but when you consider how much teams like Washington State and Utah in particular have struggled. And then like, you know, there's been years when I mean, Oregon there was contract, a
0: year, two like, years know. ago that Washington State won like literally two Pac-12 games. Right. So when you apparently one that, of those
1: came against USC. Yeah, when, when you consider that, like that that is hard to believe. Because it's not like USC. USC's not been very good. They also haven't like bottomed out,
0: bottomed out the last five years or so. Yeah, so that's a that's an intriguing one to watch. Oregon State won a series against Washington State, speaking of uh, of the Cougars. I don't at this time really know what to make of either of those teams. They both seem intriguing. I think it's safe to say Wazoo is better this year uh, in year two of Brian Green. Probably not a surprise we had Brian Green on the podcast uh, back in June. He's always very excited, uh, but he seemed to like his team and and, and he should like they're uh, they are definitely uh, playing pretty well to this point this season. that's a that's a, a tricky series win for the Beavers that on paper, we probably just kind of write off because of what Washington state has been to this point, uh, but is actually probably going to stand up a little bit, uh, more impressively as the season goes on. So, you know, Oregon state, it sets up for them pretty well here to start the season. Well, now that they are two and one, uh, they, are, they're at Washington next week, uh, then they have Utah, uh, before they go to, uh, to Eugene looking for some revenge. So, uh, Oregon State fell out of the top 25 last week, but I, I, I think we'll be seeing the Beavers again in the rankings before too long. All right, Joe, before we get out of here, uh, I got a quick uh, quick crossover here between uh, football and, uh, and basketball. So I saw on Twitter last night that David Hale, ESPN writer, uh, looked it up and he said four schools have won a bowl game and an NCAA men's basketball tournament game this year. Somebody in my mentions said that there was a fifth. The fifth is Wisconsin. For our purposes, Wisconsin is irrelevant. Uh, So four teams that, that David Hale mentioned having won a bowl game and a men's basketball tournament game this year, Alabama, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, and West Virginia. Joe, how many, of those teams do you think add a win in the baseball tournament to uh to their their scholastic re- or their uh, athletic resume this year of those four of those four yeah what were they again sorry one more time alabama mm-hmm. oklahoma oklahoma mm-hmm. state west virginia
1: i'd say probably two of the four i think alabama and oklahoma state feel like the over under is two and a half right because right. like that, yeah. that
0: seems pretty clear
1: yeah so it's like do you believe enough in west virginia or oklahoma Um, so I I would probably go the under there. I'd probably go to Alabama and Oklahoma state. Although I I will say just quickly, Oklahoma looked a lot better against Houston this weekend. And it remains to be seen how good, just how good Houston is, but it is possible. We tend to sometimes I'm guilty of this. This is kind of similar to what we talked about with, with Florida state earlier. Oklahoma has looked so bad in stretches this year. Like it's easy to kind of write that off as up rebuilding year. And maybe that's true, but it's also possible that they figure things out along the way. So that would be my third. I have a little more confidence in Oklahoma because I like that lineup. Um, if they figure things out on the mound, they could be dangerous, but I'd probably go under, I'd go the, the two. Oklahoma would be the third. If you, if you made me choose a third, I think.
0: Yeah. I, I'm looking forward to this weekend. Oklahoma plays Texas. We're going to learn a lot. I think in that series, they're trending in the right way. And as as I mentioned, we're going to have a projected field of 64 this week. And like, I've done some thinking about it over the weekend. I haven't put pen to paper yet, but the thing is, Joe, as, as you'll recall, and, and I think many of our listeners remember as well, you have to put 64 teams in the NCAA tournament. That's right.
1: 25, and, in
0: the top 25, 64 yeah, in the tournament. Yeah. Eight, eight to Omaha. Yep, um, right. And so you look at it and you look at our preseason projections we had twelve SEC teams because I was <laughs> unwilling to, to say who I thought really wasn't going to make it. I guess uh, they're going to have twelve this time. Uh, you know, the we had four Big Ten teams. One of those is going away. We had, you know, I, I can just. I I keep thinking about this and I'm like, well, we're pulling these bids and these bids and these bids. And I'm like, well, where are they all going? They can't all go to PAC 12 teams, uh, which was the one conference that was really underrepresented. Um, You know? Yeah. Like, okay. Conference USA looks like it's going to be a two, three bid, four bid. Who knows? Um, The Missouri Valley looks like it's going to pick up a bid at at least. Uh, But you know, I can't, I can't keep pulling all these teams out. And Oklahoma is now sitting at twelve and seven. Like they got some decent wins on the resume. Like, yeah, they looked atrocious that weekend uh, in Frisco, giving up all those runs to Arizona. But you know, the weekend before in Round Rock, they picked up you know win a win against Auburn, a win against Baylor. Now they uh, they have this this sweep of Houston. They beat Arkansas in the midweek. Uh, they have a straight win against Mizzou. Like, I mean, they just keep picking up power conference wins and, you know, that's going to work ultimately. Like, I don't know where they're going to finish in the big 12 standings. That's going to really be a a significant determinant in whether they get in or not. But at this point, I'm leaning Oklahoma gets in and if Oklahoma gets in, you know, probably wins a game. So yeah, I, I guess right now I would take the over. Uh, i don't think all four happen uh i'm not that enthused about west virginia we haven't been that enthused about west virginia all season long they're eight and seven and you know we'll see uh they've they've lost now back to back series against central michigan and and coastal at home so that's not that's not a great look as you're building a resume those are good teams but losing home series is is not what you want to be doing uh but again the big 12 is is going to be significant for them but uh, yeah I, I guess ultimately my answer would be I, I would I would go with three uh, of, of those four
1: yeah no I, th- I think that's I think that's right so it's also a good point about Oklahoma just the on-field standpoint yes they could figure some things out but from a resume standpoint I think sometimes we you know it's it's easy to overlook some of those like ah how good is Mizzou really but and, and the answer is like within the SEC probably not very good but unless they you know, really, really bottom out, like that's still going to be at worst, an RPI neutral win. Like that's not going to hurt them any. It's hard
0: for that not to be in a top 100 RPI win. Exactly. And it's on a neutral side.
1: Right. So like stuff like that ends up mattering in the end, when we start to really look at, okay, team A, Oklahoma, for example, you know, is, you know, 12 and 14 against the top 100, or I guess it'd probably be more games than that, but you know what I mean? Like roughly 500 against the top 100. Then you've got some other team that's you know, from a smaller conference that's, you know, four and seven against the top 100. And so those things, those wins against Mizzou, which we're kind of like, eh, right now, uh, really do end up mattering when it comes to resume time.
0: So it's a, it's a great point. Well, uh, we'll have plenty of time to dig into resumes as, uh, as the months continue. And uh, we'll definitely be doing that here on the Baseball America College podcast. So make sure you are subscribed on your favorite podcasting app, be that Apple podcast, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. You can find us, subscribe, rate, review. We appreciate it all. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Ted Cahill. Joe is at Joe BA. We'll have plenty of content over at BaseballAmerica.com throughout the week, and we will be back here with another edition of the Baseball America College podcast uh, late this week, probably on Thursday. That's, our, that's when we usually release our preview for the weekend uh, when we look at the top series coming up to get you ready for what should be another great weekend of college baseball. This was a fun one. We covered a lot of ground. Uh, there's a lot more ground to be covered over on baseballamerica.com, like I mentioned. So if you're looking for more, I would encourage you to check out the website. Thank you again to Soto for presenting the Baseball America College podcast. For Joe, I'm Teddy. Thank you all for listening, and we'll see you next time on the Baseball America College podcast.